Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in. We have an absolutely awesome episode of the podcast for you today. Tommy invited a friend of his onto the podcast, his name's Jeremy Muller, and the conversation was fascinating. Uh, Jeremy is actually writing a book now that is uh, helping introduce people to meditation. It's a practice he's been serious about his whole life, and he gets in-depth about how it's helped him manage stress, break bad habits, uh, the parallels he has found between meditation and some of the benefits that uh, Tommy and I have found in our own religions. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a great conversation. I think one of the best conversations we've had on this podcast, so I really hope you enjoy it. Um, but real quick before we started that, I just wanted to share with you guys uh, a fundraiser. If you've been on my Facebook or Instagram or uh, my website, I've been kind of plastering it everywhere, but it's an event I'm really stoked about. I'm really proud to be putting on. It's called Row 24, and it is a team rowing relay. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, I think it'll involve individuals having to row well over a marathon of distance in a 24-hour period, but we're going to do it as a team and uh, hopefully raise some really good money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So I wanted to share with you all a story that I think encapsulates the reason that I wanted to do this fundraiser in the first place. And hopefully it inspires you to give what you can. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, if uh, you just want to help fight cancer. I hope that this inspires you a little bit and really do appreciate anything that you can do, whether it's participating or donating. So, here's the story. Leukemia is a fierce disease. How it chooses its victims is mostly unknown. It's a genetic injustice, really. It's random and it's wrong. However, it is not beyond our control. I was diagnosed with acute promyelocytic leukemia, APL, in 2016. The chemotherapy to treat it involves arsenic, an element commonly found in insecticides and poisons. Now, how scientists discovered this was not simple. While I was in chemo, I received an email from an APL survivor named Amy, who had been in the 2004 drug trials for arsenic as a treatment. She had been given three days to live, so why not try the poison? Hundreds of infusions and three heart attacks later, Amy won her battle while also helping to develop the treatment that eventually saved my life. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. But with cancer, toughness is only part of the battle. The other parts are kindness and faith. Amy's drug trials were made possible long before 2004, by the effort and generosity of strangers. They chose to give their time and money because they believed it would matter, and they were right. I designed Row 24 to be a tough event for tough people. On June 22, 2019, teams of athletes will keep the rowing machines at CrossFit Suisponte running for 24 hours to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It is an act of toughness by everyone who rows, gives, and spreads the word about Row 24, but 
it is also an act of faith. A belief that your effort and generosity will matter. That our time and money does save lives. Be tough, be kind, have a little faith. I promise you that it matters. Amy's life is proof. My life is proof. I had a son born this past February. His life is proof. The proof is everywhere. I hope to see you on 622. I hope that you'll consider donating to Row 24. The website is crowdrise.com slash row 24. And you can find the links in my Instagram at Dustin Redazel, on Twitter at Dustin Redazel, Facebook at Dustin Redazel, and of course at DustinRedazel.com. So uh, lots of ways to help, guys. It really, really does make a difference. I wouldn't be alive without people like you from 25 years ago who decided to give money to the people who uh, design and run these drug trials that become the treatments, uh, that become the lives of the children of survivors. So thank you so much for your efforts, your generosity. Love y'all. Hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. Welcome to the Cheetah Dust Podcast, CDP number 26. Man, we've made it so far. And a, uh, I checked, we're at a screaming average of two podcasts a month, which, you know, just Joe Rogan's embarrassed right now. <laughs> yeah, he's like two a day at this point. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're busier than he is, so it's true statement. tougher to pull off. It's true statement. So, uh... A rarity on the Cheeto Dust podcast, a guest who isn't just, are, are we still calling you a guest? I'm not getting over this. A guest who's not our special guest, Tommy Cooksey. Tommy, you want to make an introduction? Yeah, for sure, man. And then I'll let Jeremy, you know, kind of. Uh... Who's Jeremy? I don't, he hasn't been introduced to me yet. <laughs> okay. Let me introduce you to my good friend, Jeremy Moeller. There we go. Um, so Jeremy's been, you know, we've been good friends for, jeez. We've known each other for probably 20 years or uh, more. No, dude, we're, four, we're 34 this year, so we've known each other for probably, jeez, almost 25 I'm thinking, years. Yeah, I'm thinking baseball. Yeah, yeah, dude, the Mets and yeah. the Giants. Yep. Uh, so I've, I've known Jeremy for a long time. We got really close in, uh, in high school. We were both really into like Blink-182 and Good Charlotte, and uh, he kind of led the charge starting a band, and then we started a band afterward, and we all went to the same college. See, I wasn't aware of this. Jeremy, are you one of the original members of Autumn Place? No, Jeremy was Nine Cent Dime. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We, we, he led the charge with yeah, like the, the Trailblazers. bands. <laughs> yeah, and so um, we had a lot of long drives back and forth between our uh, uh, our college and our hometown. And uh, we actually got into a lot of conversations like we'll probably have today, not even knowing that we were uh, you know, having these deep philosophical type conversations, but I always enjoyed them. Um, one of the things I really like about Jeremy is kind of like how you and I can talk about serious issues and then we can, you know, yuck it up with the best of them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
yeah, I shared an article with you that, that he wrote about mindfulness and meditation. And thanks to social media, I was, it was revealed to me that you also shared that to your Twitter followers. And I was like, well, you know what? We, we've been talking a lot about you know, mindfulness. You've been getting more into medita- meditation. And it's, it's a, a, pa- a passion of Jeremy's and something he puts a lot of effort into. And so I was like, well, let's, let's just see if we can uh, – you know, I'll get on a conversation and, and better understanding of this. And I know Jeremy uh, has just started doing his own podcast as well. And so uh, that's what brought us here today, man. Oh, good. I love plugging other people's stuff. Jeremy, I don't know if you're a regular listener to the Cheeto Dust podcast, but we've had a pretty fundamental hand in growing Tommy's brother, Greg Cooksey's HVAC business. So, <laughs> you know, any, any traffic we could send your way, we'll be honored. I will be honored. Uh, You know, I'll just add to what Tommy said. And I was going to say that, like, I haven't talked to, I haven't seen, we haven't seen each other, Tommy, in like a few years now. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but um, I love seeing your updates on social media, like all the stuff you're doing in your life, your family, you're building the work you do. And then occasionally I see some of these podcasts pop up and I've been listening as much as I can, you know, probably four or five episodes now, like the whole episode and enjoying the conversations and just love hearing your voice again on those podcasts. And it brings me back to some of those conversations we used to have, you know, uh, with some of our other friends about some of this deeper stuff. Um, and I'm just glad that you're, you're digging into it and happy to finally put a face. I mean, I had seen pictures of, should I, can I call you dusty? Uh, I would love that. Is that okay? All right. Uh-huh. Um, put a face to the, the voice and the thinking that you're putting out there too. Um, you know, I'd seen pictures before, but it's cool to actually see your face in this video right now. So that's awesome, man. I was, and I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, what is the purpose of life? I have no idea, but I think it has something to do with connection and discovery Mm -hmm. and building community. And so, you know, always good to, to meet somebody who's along that same journey. So I'm pumped for it, man. Yeah, and as you can see by video here, uh, I used to be able to own Jeremy in the in the facial hair game. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> he always owned me in the hair game, and that's still the case. Yeah, <laughs> but now I'm I'm futile. Superior genetics, what <laughs> out? Hey, so I, I think about um, I think I've heard you say on the podcast a couple times, uh, Dusty, that spanks the the beard is the spanks for men. Is that what you? Uh uh-huh. Spanks for your face. For the face, yeah. I uh, I think about that now every like not every time but almost every time I see my beard in the mirror and I I'm a little bothered by it like it's so true but it's yeah. like I don't want to admit that you know it does make you check yourself I've uh, I took paternity leave last week had uh, no brother son home from the hospital and I got brother. lazy with the shaving so I kind of have you know the this. The it's like a midnight shower now. Yeah, the sproutlings of a beard coming up here. And I almost feel like I'm wasting the fact that I've lost some weight. You know? It's like, man, as long as I'm as long as I feel like I'm in good shape, I ought to shave this face. Like lean into my self esteem. Show that jawline. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well guys, let's talk about meditation. Let's just jump into it or else we'll uh you know, we'll piss away the whole hour. And I want to get into some of this stuff because I'm pretty excited about the topic. Uh, so just as a preface uh, for listeners and for you, Jeremy, I've been, I couldn't have cared less about 
meditation until I was diagnosed with leukemia and going through kind of coming towards the end of my chemo when I was feeling pretty good about uh, feeling pretty good about my chances of recovery and needing to look into rebuilding the foundations of my life. I did some things like I stopped drinking and started trying to get in better shape and just trying to look into everything I could do to to take more control of my emotions. And around the same time, I started reading and listening to Sam Harris. Uh, he's, uh, for those who don't know, he's uh, famous in the fields of neuroscience, atheism, meditation, but mostly he's just a public intellectual. And... Uh, you know, I downloaded his app. I've also used an app called Headspace. And those were kind of my introductions to meditation. And I have found the philosophies surrounding the practice to be pretty interesting. And, you know, similar to what Tommy said, I started reading some of your stuff and recently saw that article you wrote on Medium about how mindfulness and meditation help people manage stress. And, you know, I think the headline says something about it, helping people break habits like smoking. And so I guess I wanted to start with how did you get started with meditation? And was it specifically to kick something, you know, like the cancer sticks? No, it wasn't about the cigarettes. Um, that was um, that was a byproduct. I think if I look back, I've sort of been thinking about this stress thing more recently, um, a little bit more. Uh, but what first drew me to it, um, actually, I was kind of pushed to do it in a way. I think a lot of, for, for the same reason that a lot of men uh, are pushed to do things that are good for them, uh, a girlfriend at the time told me I should try it. <laughs> and so um, I went with her to a talk, a guided meditation and a talk by this teacher named Tar Brock who is uh, really big in the DC area, but also nationally known as a uh, American meditation teacher. She's also a psychologist and is like a trained therapist. So she sees uh, patients as well. And I hadn't been to therapy at the time either. This was when I was about 25. And um, also looked at therapy, just like I looked at meditation um, and yoga even at the time as, you know, with a stigma, like it just seemed like something that was meant for people that weren't like me, first of all, but also particularly people that had a lot of money um, that could afford therapy. Um, and then also, you know, hippies, like people that, you know, would burn incense and ring bells and wear really colorful outfits and stuff. Um, so I, I didn't think about doing meditation or therapy, but then a girlfriend was like, I have done their, uh, meditation and it's amazing. It changed my life. And I was really into her at the time and was into her for a while <laughs> after that as well. So I was like, okay, I should probably try this too. And so she took me to this talk and Tara Brock is amazing. Um, she's somebody that um, I still look up to this day as, as I start to teach meditation myself. And what really hooked me around it was it flipped a switch inside of me every time I meditated early on. And it still does to this day. Um, where it would it would change my kind of my consciousness. Um, I know that sounds huge, but what I mean is, I mean, I think we all know that feeling of like a really good workout or um, being around somebody like a close friend, you know, like having a deep conversation and suddenly we feel differently. 
we may feel we maybe feel a little bit better than we did earlier in the day. Like something shifts uh, our consciousness. Well, I think meditation did that for me and still does that for me. Um, and it has all these other benefits as well, like lowering stress. You know, um, studies are coming out uh, showing that in objective data. But I really think it flipped the switch that I had turned to, you know, cigarettes. I turned to drinking, whatever it was before to try to do that. And this would be a, a real shift in consciousness that would change the rest of my day whenever I tried it. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, like seeing a good friend, Tommy and I have talked about part of the reason we do this podcast, even if we had no listeners, that there is something super beneficial mm-hmm. to setting the phones down. There's no, uh, there's no football game on, there's no menu to worry about. It's just us focused on each other. And every time we finish it, we feel uplifted. We feel better. Uh, I guess, uh, thinking of that and also versus the practice of meditation alone, do you think there's anything specific to the, the practice of meditation itself? that is better than some meditative, uh, you know, similar things that people find meditative, like a conversation with a close friend or a loved one, or going for a long run or gardening, or, you know, a craft that you're into. Is there something that differentiates, and maybe you'll have to talk about like the particular different types of medita- meditation, because I know there's a few, but the practice itself versus just doing a meditative activity. I do think there's a difference and I find myself, I'm going to try not to do it right now, but react when people, they don't usually don't ask that question. When I talk about meditation, they're usually like, Oh yeah, I go for runs or I work out or whatever it is. And that does the same thing for me. Well, and Um, that's the way I've, that's the way I thought about it most of my life. Cool. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think that that intuitively makes, makes sense. Um, I find myself, reacting to that, getting triggered, you know, and trying to defend this practice that I care so much about. Um, so I won't, I won't go down that path. I'll that simply is funny, try to... though, that's funny that it hits you that way that like, once you're into it, you respond just like I would to the defending the chiefs or, or yeah, maybe like the, defending yeah. like CrossFit or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. come on. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Totally. So let me try to, let me try to tread lightly here and make a, an argument that isn't so coming from that triggered place, defensive place. But, you know, what I would say is, and and I'm learning still a lot about the various types of meditation, uh, but I'm getting pretty precise about it now in terms of what differentiates meditation practice from anything else that you would do where you would feel as if it was meditative and get some of the same benefits that you get from meditation. And that's um, the certain aspect of meditation that uh, goes by the name of Vipassana. If, if you kind of go to the Buddhist, um, the Buddhist foundation or sort of set of practices uh, that this is derived from, this aspect of meditation practice. Um, but I think, you know, you can find it, and I'm actually would be interested in getting in this sort of conversation a little bit later on, but around, you can find this in prayer, you can find this in other contemplative practices and other um, spiritual practices and other religions. Um, but the part of meditation, so I guess you could, you could kind of split meditation practices. I know it into two, two, two aspects, um, and two sets of practices. One is concentration. So 
maybe you say a mantra, uh, which is, you know, sort of a phrase that you're repeating over and over and over again. Uh, and this is uh, actually, there's a pretty popular form called transcendental meditation, which I'm not a big fan of because it costs money to, to learn. Um, and a lot of celebrities are into it and it has like a really cultish sort of vibe to it. Um, aren't, you like, like, oh, aren't you like given a phrase? Like yeah, you, you pay for that you phrase, a phrase. Basically. Yeah, you pay, you pay thousands of dollars for your particular phrase, you know, and it, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, pretty it's gross. like monetizing the, um, Oh, what did Native Americans do? The, uh, the their spiritual the journey. Dance? <laughs> no, uh, Walkabout. <laughs> yeah, where they would I'm, like. I'm really showing my lack of knowledge yeah. about Native Americans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's it, like paying for that. Like, oh, I need to know what my spirit animal is. <laughs> yeah, thousands of dollars. You know, yeah. Ryan Varga did that. He paid for the phrase. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, he sees some benefit. I, I, it sounds to me like it's kind of like a spiritual. Well, I don't want to say that. You know, there's a. It's more like a meditation pyramid scheme. There's some people who would probably argue that like Christianity itself is a spiritual pyramid scheme, but that's for another conversation. conversation. (laughs) That's heavy for the Cheeto dust. That really is. Um, Yeah. Transcendental meditation. They have a, I saw one of their, their offices uh, actually on wall street. It's like right beside some of the banks. It's like, it's literally gold, like gold plated, on the outside, wow. it could be very well be a pyramid scheme. A lot of money. You know, that's, there. it's easy to look at that and be uh, pessimistic about it. Just people making money off of something that there's no need for it to be a capitalistic venture. But th- I think there's also a way to look at that and say, hey, there is significant value to this. If people are willing to pay that much, you shouldn't have to. But yeah. it does hint at the fact that there is some real value to meditation, that people are getting something from this. I think you're right. I think you're right. And um, yeah, uh, I usually don't get triggered around the TM, transcendental meditation, or I don't like kind of try to put it down. But uh, I guess I did find myself in this defensive position trying to defend my particular type of meditation that works for me. Because you're right that there, that concentration practice, which is the core of transcendental meditation, is found in other forms of meditation that don't cost a dime. Like you can go do them for free. Um, you can do them anytime for free. And it does have these really powerful benefits um, that I've experienced. So that's the, the concentration aspect of meditation or set of practices. The one that I think differentiates meditation from those other, like from running or playing sports or whatever it is that like really kind of gets you in the zone um, is it's more about uh, awareness and this is where mindfulness comes in. So concentration is part of it. So just the simplest way to meditate would be sitting quietly with your eyes closed and putting your attention on your breath, your body breathing. So maybe you feel your lungs, you know, expanding and contracting as you breathe, or you feel the air, you know, entering into your nose as you breathe in and out. Um, so that's a form of concentration, but what you, the, the real, the real the kind of mindful aspect of it that you add on top of that is that when you notice that your mind is wandered into thought, so it's not paying attention to the breath as you breathe um, and the sensations in your body as you breathe and you start to think about, you know, what am I going to do later today? And you start to plan, right? Or maybe you replay a conversation you had early in the, in the day that was 
you know, there was some conflict and maybe you felt like you said something wrong or the other person said something wrong. You're just trapped in this, this sort of memory in a way. And then that reminds you of something else and you're off into the past, into the future. You're not present. When you notice that, you bring your attention back to the breath and the sensations in the present moment. And you're basically strengthening a muscle that allows you to come back over and over again. And we never stop breathing. So the breath is always there, no matter what we're doing at any time, you know, until we die, uh, as an anchor that we can come back to the present moment. So that practice of strengthening that muscle to come back isn't explicit in these other practices like working out or whatever it is that, um, I mean, you could add it to that, but meditation is actually practicing that specific skill. And what happens when you strengthen that muscle is that you end up being more mindful throughout the day. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, so that's the type of meditation I'm most familiar with. Well, uh, I've attempted to, that's what, same thing with me. Okay. Headspace, I think I've used. Yeah, I used Headspace and Waking Up, as I mentioned, and that's the type I, I'm familiar with. And the thing I, because I've tried to, uh, like I bought three months of uh, the Waking Up subscription for my little brother, and I was trying to, you know, it's a very tough thing to try to sell someone on meditation. Oh, yeah. And so I just leaned right in and I told him, look, man, the best thing about meditation is it's boring. <laughs> it is, which it's true. It takes a little bit to understand why that's beneficial, but what it, where I've landed on it, and I'm going to do that thing where I compare meditation to running now, <laughs> is when I got into running, it was really tough for me to run more than three miles. Like if I ran three miles, like I was dog tired and I considered that like a great, I had a great day of exercise. And now if I get less than three miles, it's almost a waste of my time. You know, I'll do it to keep moving, to try to, to just be active, but it's not a very good workout unless I'm getting five to 10 or more. And it took me a while to, to get there. And so the reason I compare it to running is because I realized once I started doing a little meditation and spending time accepting that boredom, how ill-equipped I was to handle any type of boredom that crept up on me. And so the example I would give my little brother is like, if I get into an elevator, I instantly pull out my phone. And even though I know I'm going to have to put the phone down, like right back in my pocket when that 15 seconds of elevator time is over because I got to walk again and look where I'm going. I still, I, it's just, I, I almost can't stop it. Like I have to be distracted. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started doing meditation. That I was like, Whoa, I've got a real problem. Just like hanging out in my own head. And so I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. Tommy, you're nodded. Is this something? Yeah. I mean, if I go back to the point that Jeremy made at the very beginning where I looked at it like a, there's a stigma around meditation. It's like, it seems hokey. Oh, people that just sit there and they light incense and they think. Because um, I, mean, I don't want to say we come from the same background, but we come from a, the same hometown, very blue collar family. And fr from our standpoint, the, the guys that we saw were like, no, you just grit and bear and you get through it. 
You don't think about your thoughts. You don't yeah. think about your feelings. <laughs> and we're kind of finding out that maybe that's not the best way to, to do that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about that cut on your arm. Yeah. It'll, you know, it'll heal eventually. It won't turn to gangrene and your arm will get cut off. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think – so I, I watched that documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, on Mr. Rogers. I just finished it yesterday. Great. Did you cry? I didn't cry. I was close. I, here's the thing. I understand why you would. Yeah. I mm-hmm. found it very impacting. Yeah. The thing that struck me the most, because you know, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old kid, and he does watch TV. I mean, it's just a product of living. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you look at the shows that he watches that are made now, and it's just stimulation the whole time Mm. and the way that Fred Rogers used silence, like intentional silence to let the mind work and figure stuff out and what's he doing and what's the purpose of what he's doing. And it's like that there doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, you're right. We're distracted. We're, we're, there's a lot of the companies out there that are being paid to pull us in directions and it's become habit. It's become, you can't sit with yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah, so I, I can relate to that a lot. Well, and not to take us too far from the meditation thing, but I yeah. think this is an important point. I think that maybe the best thing you could ever give to somebody else is just a ravenous sense of curiosity. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can somehow foster in somebody the idea that hey, your thoughts matter. And what the, the stuff that hits you and how you feel about it matters. It will then blossom into everything that they, everything they touch in life mm-hmm. will be enriched, which means every person will be enriched, which, which means every activity they come into contact with will be enriched. Because the moment you're curious about something, you start giving 100% of yourself to it. And if you could get that in everybody, it would it would change the way the world functions. And I think that starting with just the bare bones of, hey, it's just you and your thoughts, and are you comfortable with that, is an excellent place to start. You're working on the foundations. This is something that I think, uh, and I know we discussed this a little bit earlier, but this is something that I think, because I understand people who are atheists. I understand that, that secular perspective on the world. There's a way to know things. But I do think one of the things that Christianity, because that's my background, uh, but I'm sure a lot of religions have this, I think one thing that Christianity nails is spending that time in prayer. And I went on this men's retreat, and one of the things we did was we spent three hours, a three-hour prayer. You went off by yourself, and the whole thing was take a notebook, and you just pray to God for three hours. Hmm. It was around the same time that I was first starting to get into meditation, and I was blown away by how similar the activities were. And the the thing about spending it in prayer uh, that I think was... I liked, I'm not saying it's better, but it's a little different, uh, was that when you're trying to focus on a conversation with Jesus Christ, 
None of us actually know what Jesus Christ was like. Was he funny? Maybe. Was he cool? Probably charismatic. (laughs) But we don't really know, right? So what we inevitably start doing, because we think of him as the Son of God, is we imagine like the very best version of a person. And because it's our perspective, we're essentially imagining the very best version of ourselves because the very best version of anything we can imagine, it's all our lens. And so you're sitting there for three hours having a conversation, completely made up, you know, and, you know, that's, I guess that's for debate. But you're having a conversation in your head with the best version of a human being that you can possibly fathom. It is very difficult to come out of spending your time that way and not find yourself in a better mental state. Hmm. The way you're like, do you think if you were having an argument with your wife and then you went for an hour and you tried to just like have an internal dialogue with the best possible human being, that you're not going to come back to that argument with a refreshed and better perspective. You're going to be more forgiving. You're going to be more open. You're going to be more... And if you're you are on the right side of the right, you're going to be more convicted, right? Like it's just I'll step off the soapbox, but <laughs> but for me, I think that that is an incredibly valuable way to use one's time when you're talking about self improvement. Yeah, I'd like. Yeah, I have a reaction to that. Um, yeah, I should I should ask a question when I get done no, talking. <laughs> I, I really appreciated hearing that, um, trying to learn more about various aspects of prayer, something that I've never, never actually done. You know, I didn't grow, I grew up secular. So, um, but what it reminds me of in meditation, in my experience of meditation is two things. One, I'm not going to go very deep into, because I don't know a lot about, about it. And I also don't know how to talk about it without, without it sounding hokey, to use the word that Tommy used earlier. Um, there's, there's sort of an entire kind of lineage and set of practices within meditation that comes out of Buddhism around compassion and cultivating compassion in yourself for not only for, for not only other people and maybe not even someone you really like, like an ideal person, um, but even people, your enemies, people that you don't like, and then also for yourself. Um, I found that occasionally powerful and I want to do more of it, but I just don't know a lot about it yet. But I do think something um, and I also think that people that are starting meditation shouldn't jump right into that stuff. It's really heavy um, and it might turn them off. But I think something about this initial sort of basic mindfulness meditation that is growing in popularity. Um, and I'll, I'll circle back around to Dusty, what you were saying about your brother. Um, you know, I've been trying to get my mom to meditate since I started uh, and she's not budging at all. And mm-hmm. so I'm always... <laughs> always trying to figure out ways to talk about the practice, why it's beneficial and make it appealing to people that have a stigma built up around it. And I think that I'm starting to get towards, or I'm starting to move towards this idea that it shouldn't be framed or it's best not to frame meditation as just something else to add to your to-do list. You know, like you should work out, you should eat more healthy food, you should you know, et cetera, et cetera, or put down the phone, get, you know, have a digital Sabbath, right? Which is what something I've been trying to do. Like on Sundays, I don't go on social media, like another thing to do to add to our already busy schedules, even if it is about being less busy. Um, 
I think talking more about the benefits of it rather than like, this is a thing you should do as a way to lead on it. And the one that I think connects to what you were just talking to, talking about with prayer is that I think the most powerful thing that I've gotten out of meditation is it helps me connect with other people. You talked about connection, Dusty, in the very beginning of the the conversation here. Um, And and the way it does that is it, it really allows me to listen, or it really kind of helps me really deeply listen to other people and be curious. And I think that's because the chatter in my mind that's usually going on when I'm talking to someone or in a conversation with somebody of like, I should say this, let me plan what I'm going to say next. It better be clever. I need to impress them. You know, all these different reactions and internal sort of dialogue that's going as someone else is talking, I'm able to kind of set that aside. It's still happening, right? Um, That's the thing about meditation you quickly learn, and you might have seen this, that it doesn't like clear the mind and then it's just bliss. The thoughts come up, and uh, but we don't react to them. We don't grab onto them as much. They kind of go by and then we're able to continue listening to what's happening, just like we feel the breath as we're meditating, right? So we're keeping our attention on that person and listening to them. And I just have a quick um, example of that. And I think where it shows up um, in my life or it showed up in my life, I was, um, I was headed to California uh, last fall with my family. I was headed with my mom and my dad on kind of a family trip to see my sister who moved, younger sister who moved to California about two years ago now. And we all hadn't been over there together um, and my and my dad had never been over there either. Um, I had been there before. Um, so we all like kind of like, hey, let's plan a trip. And we booked the flights and all that. So we're headed to BWI Airport, Baltimore, uh, the airport near Baltimore. Um, it was like 4.30 in the morning because we did this really super early flight. And my mom is who planned the trip is like, we need to, we need to, um, I remember this phrase, parking lot B, I think is what it was, or long-term B, a parking lot long-term B. She just kept saying that. My dad's driving, I'm in the passenger seat. And she's like, look for the sign, look for the sign. Um, and we were miles away from the airport. So she's already, you know, sort of trying to plan and, and make sure we don't miss it. And at some point I snapped at her. I was just like so tired of hearing her paranoia about missing the sign, her anxiety, and it just got me going. Um, even if I, you know, I had meditated earlier that morning when I got up. And I reacted and she didn't react back. Just, we're kind of we're used to kind of butting heads like that around anxiety. Um, and so, you know, it didn't really kind of kick off into some bigger argument or anything. And then I just like felt this welling up of like guilt for, you know, kind of snapping at her and feeling like I was like, I felt like I was 16 again, like a teenager, like similar feelings when I would get triggered like that. And instead of like just getting trapped in this guilt around it um, and it's kind of, usually I would just kind of sit there and be quiet you know, the rest of the trip or whatever until we got to the airport. I actually then was able to realize that like, I, and my mom planned this trip and she is, you know, has a, a kind of an itinerary in her head and she just wants to make sure we get there. I didn't even have to book the, the flights, right? I paid, but like, I didn't have to book them. And so I just had this deep appreciation come up and I was able to be like, Hey, thank you so much for, for planning this trip. Like kind of out of nowhere after we had our little little intense kind of triggering moment there. She didn't respond to that. Really, She just kept saying like, oh, we need to look for the sign. Like she was still in her head. (laughs) Yeah. She was like in her head about it still. But 
it felt so good to me that I was able to tap into my intention and what a kind of a deeper intention around how I wanted to be in that moment and not get triggered and caught up in the stories about being 16 years old again and feeling guilty and all that and actually say it from a deeper place, even though if it didn't land or not, I just, I think that that's been the biggest thing for me out of meditation is that it allows me to tap into something deeper when I'm connecting with somebody and actually say what I really feel. Mm. It's funny you say that, man, because I, I mean, I haven't meditated much and I'm at, I'm, I'm at the point, Jeremy, where you're talking about like adding it to part of your day. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of gaps in my day where this would be valuable and I know I can do it. It's just doing it. Mm-hmm. But through combination of you know, prayer, some meditation and therapy, same thing. Like in, in a lot of situations, whether it be with my wife, with my friends, I react and my lizard brain kicks in mm. and it's like, it's this visceral reaction, positive or negative, just like that. It's a reaction. It's not a thoughtful response. And it's going through these types of things. I have this peace of mind where I now, I don't feel dumb going back and saying, Hey, Dusty, can I have a redo on that statement? Mm. It's not what I really feel. It's not what I really think. I just reacted. Mm-hmm. And to to not feel ridiculous asking for this permission to do that is like, it, oh my, it's relieving, right? You don't have to live with that moment, that one moment that is you when you were five years old mm-hmm. reacting to a situation. Why do you think that's so tough to do? You have a reaction. Why is it so tough to go back and say, I don't feel good about that? And you want to like double down. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good with that. Like just lock it in. It that I'm set. It's probably something to do with the, you know, male bravado. Like, man, I guess, we, you know, it's same, similar for women too. There, there's this need to just be right all the time. And your first reaction is your right reaction. I guess. I, I don't know. Jeremy, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think there's some, some, you know, sort of ideas of masculinity in there. That, that particularly, you know, probably impacts us more than women in general. Um, but I feel like it, underneath all of it, for everybody, I think it, it kind of, this is, this is the part of the Buddhist philosophy that I really have been attracted to and the, and the idea of the ego and the sort of idea that some version of me exists that is timeless and not changing and not making mistakes, et cetera that I need to defend and I need to constantly sort of show off to other people. And I think, um, I think when in meditation, that, that sort of idea quickly, you quickly realize that there isn't some, you know, timeless, changeless, formless version of yourself that you need to defend. Um, you see it as sort of a delusion pretty quickly in meditation. Um, so I think a lot of it does come back to this kind of idea of the ego. You know what I like about the story with your mom? is that there wasn't any obvious like outer mm. benefit, right? It didn't really change her looking for the parking space or it wasn't mm. some like revelation, but it changed everything about the way you felt. Yep. I heard a stat recently that could be ridiculous, but it's, it is at least instructive. 
and that is that 50% of our vision of what we see is memory. Hmm. So when I look at something, yes, there's the the photons passing through my my cornea, retina, like I don't know that much about <laughs> eye biology, but <laughs> <You should> learn. <laughs> but there's the actual light that enters into my brain informing the world around me. And then the rest of it is my brain putting the pieces together, filling in the gaps so that that is what my brain processes as the entire picture. So it means that half of what is going on outside of us is actually going on inside of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of a critical idea. And it's one of the things that I now see in a different in a different light. I see <laughs> I I imagine in a different light. But I see differently that my mom used to you know, I'd ask about how often she would pray and she would just, well, I'm praying all day. I'm I'm praying mm. all throughout the day. Mm. And I think that that sounds very similar to somebody who's well-practiced in meditation, being able to quickly recognize an emotion, re revert to whether it's a mantra or a breath, or just recognizing, hey, I've seen these thoughts and let them go before, strengthening that muscle. So that my mom, like, yeah, she changed the, uh, what's the word for when you have a word to explain concepts? Not Anecdote. important. Eh, no, not important. It'll come to me. <laughs> but she changed like the prism through which she was doing it by using prayer. But you know, she's going to consult that that best version, that foundational her, that that truest her throughout all time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can you can choose the the Buddhist phrasing of it or the Christian phrasing of it, or just think of it as a practical meditative practice. But all of those things are getting you to the same place where I've, I have felt a change. And stress is nothing if not the register of change in your world. And so when you feel a great change, you feel a great stress. So something drastic has happened. I need to manage it. My body tells me this through stress. I need to resolve the stress so that I feel peaceful again. And... I think that the quicker you can recognize like whether that is worth hanging on to or I should just let it go, the better your life will be. Because almost, like I said, most of it is not what's actually happening outside of you. Most of it is what's happening inside of you. And if you're just talking, I've got 80 years and I want those to be good, happy years, the faster you can let go of the wasted minutes being stressed about something that is unimportant and move on to, yeah, that did rough, that did ruffle my feathers a little bit. Tommy and I have talked about the guy cutting us off in traffic and how long it takes to recover from that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The faster you can just let go of some bullshit thing like that, that doesn't matter. The more you're maximizing your 80 years into maybe you can get to a happy 67, right? I'll spend 13 of those years spread out stressed, and the other 67, <laughs> I'll have let go quickly and been happy, which is a reductive way to look at it. But I think that that's kind of the net gain. Like I said, if you're trying to sell someone on it, like try to make it quantitative. That's kind of the way I, I think about it. Yeah, totally. And then I would just add, I mean, I think that was beautiful. 
Um, and one thing that I'll, I'll quickly go back to is that when you were saying that, it made me realize that the muscle that we are working out when we're meditating, and particularly that sort of meditation where we bring our mind back to the present moment over and over again, we're actually strengthening a muscle to let go, right? We're letting go of whatever the thoughts are, the mm -hmm. bullshit situation or whatever it is. So it, it's a little counterintuitive and hard to explain, but I think it's actually that that makes it a actually more powerful to me at the end of the day, because it's not about adding something that we need to work at, mm -hmm. we need to push. It's almost like it's pulling us to this space of whether it's prayer or meditation, it sounds like prayer is similar um, to this kind of place of people call it equanimity in uh, the meditation circles um, of not being kind of swept away by thoughts and emotions as much. But the other thing I'll There's add to, oh, go ahead, Jerry. Sorry. I was going to, the other thing I was going to say is that um, it's also not, you know, it, it's, it's like getting cut off in traffic, you know, and then obviously it makes zero sense to react to that in a negative way and then try to run the person off the road or something, you know, like there's no, there's no benefit to that sort of reaction that I can think of. Um, not only are you not swayed by those sorts of things in this kind of ideal that we're talking about, but you're also able to, so I liked how Tommy, you talked about not reacting, you use the word reaction. It's, you know, you can respond though. So there's, you can still step into situations if you, if you think it makes sense to, and there will be a benefit and maybe you, you know, need to defend yourself if something happens. Um, and it's not just about, you know, sort of being, um, passive, right? And I think a lot of people that first come to meditation get that. That's also part of the stigma is that it's just you're turned into this like passive robot that's just cold and calculating everything and also letting people just kind of run all over you. But I feel like um, when you when you start letting go or learning how to let go of those reactions, right, and seeing what else comes up, like I said about with my mom, you can get to that kind of deeper intention that comes up and then respond in a certain way. So it's, you know, it, I think... I think it's both of those things. Yeah. And I think um, it's funny seeing this stigma fade when you see guys like really successful in a lot of ways, like Tim Ferriss, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the people that he interviews, very uh, personally and professionally successful people that meditate. And it's a, it's a pivotal part of their day. And, and so it makes you think that they are, more centered. Like mm -hmm. there's this better oneness within themselves. I did have a question and I was, I was reading about something yesterday that one of the targets of life or one of the goals of life is to like continue to add stress in a good way or mm -hmm. a, an activity in a good way to stretch yourself a little bit. And then when you reach that next spot, you can stretch a little more mm -hmm. until you, you've stretched so far that you can look right into the depths of hell and not be phased like it not push you back. Is there like a, like a compound or have maybe you've experienced this. Is there like a compound or like a cumulative effect of meditation where, Hey, I've been doing it for five years now and things that would have bothered me two years ago. Don't bother me anymore. They don't require as much active thinking. It's like I'm, I'm more centered and therefore the things letting the, letting the guy in traffic go. Right. Instead of reacting at some point after meditating, are you just like, hey, man, that, that guy has to get somewhere and that's his thing and I'm, I'm safe. We're all safe. We're good. And yeah, that's like the, your reaction. Yeah, like the, cr the amount of stress, like 
a situ like my house would have to be burning down around me for me to flip out <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's that extreme, but you know what I mean. Like, um, mm-hmm. an easy example since since I do CrossFit, and I'll tell you guys more about CrossFit if you want to. I would love to hear about it. <laughs> but like, you know, you you lift a weight a certain number of times, and all of a sudden you're able to lift that weight with ease, right? Or you can run a mile so fast, mm-hmm. you practice running the mile. And now you can run the fa- the mile X fast. It seems to me that maybe there's some some comparison there when it comes to meditation, except for the fact that I don't think there's a limit. Like I can only run the mile so fast, can only lift so much weight, mm-hmm. but can I be so centered that I can't get any more centered unless I'm like Buddha himself? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, it's I kind had, of a long winded question, Jeremy. I had this thought, and then Jeremy, I'd like to hear your input on it. When Jeremy mentioned that. It's like strengthening a muscle to let go. Mm-hmm. I actually thought about you in CrossFit because how important is flexibility in CrossFit? Yeah, it's so vital. Incredibly vital, right? And yet you're never really judging your performance based upon the release, right? It's always like how much weight can you push? How fast can you run? You know, like it's all about the exertion. And yet anybody who's serious about that sport knows that letting go is vital like the the release the relaxation recovery like mm-hmm. so important to high performance and that's a little bit what i mean when i say like 80 years can i have 67 like happy relaxed ones like i want to be productive in my life you know i want to write books i want to make a lot of money i want to spend time with my family like these are things i want and you know i want to spend time like this intentional time but all of that requires me to push, right? And I feel like having something that then lets me let go, uh, you can't be like tweaked all the time. You end up like one of those Wolf of Wall Street guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that like, yeah, reacting to both of what you said, uh, what both of you said, um, this is helping me sort of get more precise in my head about why meditation is so powerful for me. And I think there's one other thing that I've learned through meditation that's helpful is seeing the difference between pain and suffering. Um, And, you know, these are just words to describe, you could say stress um, in general, um, but say pain or discomfort, negative feelings. And pain is, in, in my view, inevitable and things that we're going to go through, everybody's going to go through in life, right? So, you know, whether that's a death uh, of someone close to you, or maybe it's physical pain, you know, uh, getting in a car crash or something, um, things are going to happen or someone's going to cut you off in, in traffic. The suffering, though, is what you add on top of that pain. And that's what you're responsible for, in my opinion. Um, and that's what this practice of letting go allows you to let go of more quickly over time. So to your question, Tommy, this cumulative effect, it's not that I've noticed that I don't react to things um, as much. Um, you know, in my life, if someone cuts me off, I still flip them off and cut you know, cuss them out and stuff, or at least I, I want to, you know, or like, you know, get really pissed off in my car. But then right after that happens, I don't get caught for as long in the story that I add on top of that of like, that dude's a dick. Like I hate my job because I have to sit and, you know, I have to commute every day. Like all the stuff that the judgments and the stories that spin out of control for the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes or whatever it is 
like I can let go of that quicker and I can just get back to driving again, right? And then to what I want to think about. So that the letting go piece, I think, describes it. And I think it's particularly about that suffering piece that over the years now I've gotten quicker at letting go. And the difference in pain and suffering, that is such a key idea. I think yeah, it's huge. Like in, that's so good. In anything, right? Like even people, like obviously, obviously we work out. <laughs> <laughs> no question to anybody. <laughs> but when you hear people who are like, ah, exercise is not my thing, <clears throat> it seems insane to me. But it's because they haven't decoupled the fact that like, yeah, it does suck to be tired and and to feel exhausted. And so why would I want to inflict that upon myself? Mm-hmm. But that's so much different. And I think somebody who puts that story in their head is, it's, I don't want to step too far with this, but it's one of the problems I have to get over when I see somebody who is out of shape and isn't taking care of their body. It does my initial reaction is to judge them because I believe that they're the type of person who sells themselves a story of suffering, which isn't always the case. Right. But mm-hmm. it's to, to latch onto that. Somebody who says like, nah, I just, I, I can't get into that. I don't want to do it. And they see the suffering, even though really what working out is, is just pain. It's only pain. Mm-hmm. And it, you can extend that to just about anything, right? Like, People who don't want, you know, we come from a cold calling sales background. People who didn't want to pick up that phone, even though all that happens is you pick up the phone, you make the call, maybe somebody's rude to you, and then it's over. Like you can just, and then you make the next call. It's, that's all it is, right? But people who literally just wouldn't show up to work one day and never came back because the idea, the story they started telling themselves about picking up that phone was overwhelming to them. Like it just, it crushed them. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to recognize the difference in in pain and suffering is, I mean, it's a man maker. Yeah, I think, Jeremy, that that was an awesome way to put that, is pain is what happens to you. And sometimes it might be by your own design. Mm -hmm. Suffering is what you allow it to do to you. Mm -hmm. So that is within your control. Yeah, it's the, you know, the serenity prayer. What you can control and what you can't, right? Yeah, you got leukemia. You didn't ask for that. You didn't do anything. It's a, it's a genetic you injustice. Know, injustice. 100%. But you could have let it crush you and crush your marriage and, you know. There's a lot you can tell yourself when something bad happens. Hmm. And, you know, like I said at the beginning of this, and then, you know, we'll, we'll wrap it up pretty quick. I don't know what the purpose of life is. I really don't. Hmm. But... To me, the work of life, like even my existence, right? I'm, I'm, from my perspective, my existence is completely random. Like I understand how like my genes are, what they are, like half my dad, half my mom, and you know why I exist in this time. But I started just like in Medeus Ray, right? I'm just in the middle of things. All of a sudden, you drop Dusty into 1985, and we go. Like, my existence is random. I am a product of chaos from my perspective. And what I try to do with everything that happens every day I face is I try to put a little order into that. I create some priorities, you know, faith, family, fitness, fun, finance, faculty, 
these things that I quadruple that, F. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I've been working on this philosophy. I like and, it. And, well, in a way, <laughs> like th- there's a reason I put faith at the top of that. That is like my faith in action. I believe that there was, you know, whether it's the Judeo-Christian God or not, I believe that there is a purpose to my life, and I believe that something intelligent prior to myself got this ball rolling. Now, if that's not true, I've lost nothing, right? I lived and I died, and okay, I thought it was, and then it wasn't. Right. It's fine. But if it is true then there is something about curiosity and trying to take whatever hand you've been given and make as much sense out of it as possible so that you can do the greatest good from your own perspective that you possibly can. And if we are anything like the intelligence that, that sent us spinning out into the universe, then how can he, she, it do anything but smile upon that effort? And that, to me, is a, uh, is a higher power, you know? And to me, that's why something like meditation or prayer is a worthwhile pursuit, is because it forces you to look at yourself and say, what do I have here? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And if you can strengthen that letting go muscle, you're going you're gonna to be better for it. So here's... That's good, man. Mm-hmm. So what, something that I wanted to do from Jeremy's standpoint... Um, because I'm still trying to meditate. Like I have headspace app on my phone almost at least every day, if not multiple times a day, I say, I need to grab five minutes to just be mm-hmm. not like when I'm in the shower, when my, I have my best thoughts, <laughs> maybe it should be when I'm in the shower. I don't know, but you feel like me or for like your brother or for anybody who listens to this podcast, that's like, I've thought about meditation. I've heard about it. It does seem overwhelming at first, right? Like you're, to well, think it seems you can, unhelpful at first. You do 10 minutes and you're like, okay. Yeah. I, I now, admittedly I've done it and I feel clear. I feel more clear afterwards. Mm. I feel almost like my brain has been like washed. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That might sound weird, but I just feel like good. No, I understand it. And so for people that are listening, people like me, what, Jeremy, what would you recommend as like a first, like a first step? Like maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, but what is like a good first step to dive into, commit to and say, I can do this for a week. I can do this for a month. Yeah. Let's establish some clear action items. Yeah. Well, I I like action items, right? I know the benefit. I see, I look. I've, I've told you, I've known Jeremy a long time, and he guys, is uh, at most it. peace and mindfulness that I've ever seen him, and I love it, and you are too. And so I'm looking for that, 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 that centering feeling, you mm. know? Mm. Does that make sense, Jeremy? It does. It does. I'm actually writing a, a, a book right now on how to get started. So I've got a lot of thoughts, but I'll, I'll keep it pretty straightforward here. Um. I think it depends on how you take on habits, right? So everyone's going to be a little different um, in terms of coming up with the first sort of intention and goal that you want to set. So whether that's doing it every day for a week, doing it five minutes every day, doing it every day, no matter what, even if it's 30 seconds, that's, that's how I did it. That's how I got started. 
Um, I really needed to commit every single day for an infinite, you know, forever um, for me to, to finally get around to doing it. And I would do it, you know, right before bed sometimes for 30 seconds, just because I had forgotten that day. Um, did but you over use an app or anything? Or yes, just... I actually listened to guided meditation. So I just have my cell phone on, you know, in my pocket or, uh, you know, beside the bed or whatever, and listen to a little short guided meditation. I didn't, I've never used Headspace or any of those apps, but teachers yeah. put out, you know, plenty of these, these Guided on YouTube meditation. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but the thing that I think really worked for me, if I really kind of step back, um, and you were just getting at it because you were saying that you know uh, you you're seeing people that are meditating and seem to be calm and collected uh, and mindful. You know, I really think it. it you know, think about doing CrossFit. I, I don't know if this is your experience, but um, it seems to be that there is a communal or community aspect to it terms of everyone motivating each other. And it's not something that you just do by yourself all the time, right? Like you go to a gym or you go to, you know, go to some place and, and work out with other people and, and that helps you. Um, and I think that happens in all kinds of different working out uh, settings and work, et cetera. Um, so I think for me, I think folks should try to find in a group that, that, that meditates. You don't have to sign up for anything or anything, but there's these drop-in classes increasingly around the country where you can just go in and sit down and listen to someone do a guided meditation, a, a teacher, uh, and then they'll give a talk about the practice. And increasingly, a number of those are secular, so it's not really heavy in the Buddhist stuff. And then I think, I think that combined with maybe doing, um, you know, an intensive uh, retreat of some sort, like they have these like half day retreats or even full day retreats where you'll go and listen to talks and meditate for a few hours. If it's a half day retreat, were you, were you really able to have an intense enough experience of that mindfulness and calm that you're like, I want to get back to this. Like the way I feel right now, I feel like my, like so much myself, more myself than I have felt in years. And I want to get back to this place. So I'm going to do this every day from now on. That's how it happened for me. I had a really, not really intense, but a pretty intense experience meditating for, you know, two or three hours, not straight. It would 30 minutes, take a break, 30 minutes, take a break. And it was like, whoa, I haven't felt like this since I was you know, a kid. Maybe I don't remember the last time I felt like this. I want to get back to this. I'm going to do it every day, no matter what it takes. And so I think you really have to be touched by it, by being around other people that have been touched by it. And then also having an experience where you really kind of drink it in rather than it being something that you want to add to your to-do list, like all these other things. It's so wild when you say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, you know, one of our good friends, Ryan Varga, he talks about a very similar experience mm -hmm. yeah. for sure. It's, it's as if you talk to the creator himself, right? It's mm -hmm. like this just mm -hmm. very intimate and, and self-worth conversation yeah. in your own head spiritual i mean that's the word i like to it use it is you know yeah and yeah. i think we've gotten so far away from it with all the distractions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm guilty i know i am oh 100 me too aren't we all this has been awesome man yeah and i've enjoyed I, this jeremy thank you yeah i hate to do it guys but i gotta cut uh i gotta cut this off and Could, you know, i've, I've, I've really gotta, enjoyed oh good Oh, I was just gonna say, I've I've got another meeting. I gotta I gotta take. This is this is the problem with just being uh, just Not a couple a regular guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I gotta run. But Jeremy, where can uh, where can people find you? Yeah, just go to my website, Jeremy Moeller. It's M O H L E R dot blog. So my writings on there, my classes are on there. 
Um, and then I got a podcast called Meditation for the Masses that uh, is just me talking. So it's not as exciting as this conversation was, but uh, definitely check it out. Um, and I, I would love to come back on at some point and we should talk about Jordan Peterson. Oh, we'll have you on for sure. And oh, <laughs> I could not... I'm thrilled for that conversation. Nice. 100%. Yeah, we'll do it for sure, man. Hey, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time. We'll talk soon. Dude, so good catching up with you, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, later. Cool.